0: What was the greatest struggle of transition for you going from this well-known actress to essentially like becoming like a coach in life? I mean, I look at you like an author, coach, mentor, um, you know, uh, I hate the word influencer, but you know what I'm saying, um, that, that is trying to make and is making an impact in people's lives you know so like what what was that transition like for you or do you, are you still acting is it something that you still love or is that just something that you it was a chapter in your life
1: i still do i love i still act i love it it's it i'm an artist and I, it is the process of acting the craft of acting is very close to the craft of designing my life that i started as a young kid mm-hmm. i imagined myself outside of the experiences I was in and that allowed me to see myself in a way that wasn't familiar (laughs) and it opened up this really cool unknown possibility world (laughs) and so I love and that's what I love about acting is you know you do get, you know, the script and you get the, uh, the intention, uh, but you get to play a lot within that, stru- that structure. And that's, that's what I love. So, um... Forgive me, I have my line, Jen. Hopefully that's okay.
0: <laughs>
1: Sometimes yeah. I feel like a kid that has a list, which is, I the door kids with lists. I'm just saying.
0: <laughs> it, it's all good. Fun fact, really random, but my uncle actually was on the board of development who created a Invisalign. Oh, fun,
1: really? Fun wow. Yeah. Well, thank you yeah. to your uncle. <laughs> yeah. These are amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, shout out, Unc. He's in, uh, where is he at? Uh, I think he just moved from Vancouver, BC to... The other nice portion of Canada. I can't remember the city. But, um, yeah, so, like, everybody in our family had them. I wish I had them because at the time I had regular braces. And, like, at night I had the full headgear and the whole bit. And I'm just like, God, I look like a robot.
1: Yes. I feel very you know. blessed. Very, very blessed. So – so, yeah, so to, to, to continue down that road, I do still, I'm uh, particular, I mainly do commercials and uh, advertising campaigns because I, mm-hmm. they don't take me away for a long period of time. Um, and, you know, I did, I came to a point, uh, and I've always been an adventurer. Let's just just make that clear from the beginning. I never thought I wanted to be an actor. I did not grow up thinking, oh, I'm going to be an actor. I, it was not even in my sphere. Mm-hmm. But it was something that it was an opportunity. And I said, oh, yeah, let, let's try that. And it just worked. And um, I came to a point in my life where, uh, and COVID happened. I, I knew I needed, wanted to write a book. I've been writing poetry and I've been, um, you know, just delving down the, the path of a writer for years. Uh, but it was personal. It was my own business, you know, it was it was a lot to do with my healing and, uh, and my own inner awareness and development. Mm -hmm. So, um, I just reached a point where I was like, this is not fulfilling me. This is not fulfilling me the way that it used to. I need to expand my, my perspective. So when you, when you said, uh, when you were talking about how this unknown new adventure for you, One of the things I always ask people, so what are you going to do when it becomes known and familiar to re-excite yourself? No idea. (laughs) It will, something will happen, something will show up, it'll be maybe a reinvention of it, you'll change, uh, you know, a a perspective. Once you open the door to that awareness, it becomes very clear quickly that your life needs to be filled with this exploration and adventure the awareness, uh, quotient just expands. I need to know more and I need to be more, you know, and it's, it's, it's exciting. I think it's what life is about. So I reached a point where, um, I wanted to tell my story, but I was afraid to, but my story was inside just giving me so much grief about not telling it. Mm -hmm. Uh, the fear was like, wait a minute, you're not a coward. (laughs) you're being one right now in this area, you need to step up and balance this out in your life. And once I sort of made that commitment, people started showing up everywhere in my life. They're they're really great at it. And, uh, and they inspired me and I started, I wrote my book and then I met uh, people. I started coaching and teaching and it just became, and it was one of those things where it's like, I had no idea I would be good at this. (laughs)
0: It's funny. You don't until you actually do the thing. Yeah. You know, and then it's like you surprise yourself. And I think that's part of life, right? Like, you never know what you like, what you don't like yeah. <clears throat> until you experiment. It's much like, much like dating. Like, you don't know. I mean, I don't believe there are specific types for people. That's my own personal opinion. But, like, you don't know who you connect with, who you vibe with, who you feel like could be. I still think, and this is so random, but I feel like you're the perfect person to talk to about this. I think it's the strangest thing. Like, I still think it's so bizarre. Like, thinking this out loud and having this conversation with people, they look at me like I'm crazy. But I think it's so bizarre that at some point you fall in love with a stranger and then that stranger becomes your entire world. Like, someone you've never known in your entire life. And then, boom, it's like, isn't that surreal? That is gnarly. Like, that is absolutely bonkers to me blows my mind i love my wife we've been married for 12 years but to this day i'm like like you're a stranger (laughs) who are you (laughs) you know what i mean like i totally hear you it's wow and and the like you're laying next to me right now like you what you know (laughs) so i think it's fascinating So anyways, going to my point, which was like, you don't know until you know, and you won't know until you actually do the thing or try things or experience things. And so I, I, I love that. I don't know if you want to talk too much about this. I'm really curious. Um, but you, you, you were able to heal yourself or heal trauma. And I don't know specifically what type of trauma, physical, mental, both emotional, um, through through nature, like, what what does that mean exactly? Because I was curious when I read that online. I'm like, interesting. Did she like walk on water? Did she immerse herself with the leaves? Did she find some weird ointment in like the <laughs> jungle of India? Like what what happened here?
1: <laughs> all of the above, as far as the view. Um, and yeah. Yes, um, and all of the above. Uh, so, the way that I healed myself in nature for. A, a long period of my, well, pivotal years of my young youth during mm-hmm. some of the worst trauma I had been through, physical, emotional. Um, I come from a family of extraordinarily violent alcoholics and
0: oh, wow. abusers. abusers.
1: Um, my grandfather killed my grandmother.
0: Oh, my God. Yes.
1: Um, it, terrible, drunk, and violent, and it and at a time when... Spousal abuse was accepted.
0: It was commonplace. It was
1: commonplace. And my grandmother was a victim of spousal abuse. And, um, and, uh, after one of their altercations, she had an aneurysm and she died. And, um, I was three years old and she was in my world. My mother, I bonded her like my mother, my mother was very young. She had my older sister and myself. And, uh, just not capable of being a mother yet. Plus she had grown up in that family. So, mm-hmm. um, she, this was her life. She had witnessed this with her mother, her her throughout her childhood. And, um, but I bonded with my grandmother. I'm sure I bonded with my mother to some degree as well, but I bonded with my grandmother in a way that was extraordinarily deep. She, the un- level of unconditional love that you feel from a mother came from my grandmother. So it was like, like i stuck to her i loved her and um... i want
0: to interrupt you real quick because i found this really interesting with women mostly like the fact that you were three and and you remember the feeling Mm -hmm. i don't remember anything when i was three years old and and i've spoken to a lot of men they pretty much similar but my wife and like you know my my oldest daughter and My sisters, they like remember stuff when they're like two, three. I'm like, how? How? How is that even possible? So it's remarkable that you're able to not only remember your grandmother, but you were able to remember the bond because it was so surreal, it was so significant, it was so powerful that it left an incredible uh, impression on you. I just don't mean to interrupt your story. I just thought I wanted to point that out because that's fascinating.
1: No, I have very clear memories when I was two, three, four, five. I mean, it's like... It freaks people out, too. I just have always been that way, and I'm one of those people with an uncanny memory, which has served me as an actor.
0: <laughs> I was going to say. Definitely a perfect servant. career path.
1: Yeah, exactly. How did that I happen? I can't
0: remember what I had for breakfast.
1: Mm. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it is kind of different with women. And I don't yeah. know, maybe it's because of, you know, what we do, how we carry life, and life expands within us and grows, and yeah. maybe it's something to do with that and the way we were made. But, um it is an interesting thing, so yes, I had this very intense bond with her, and when she was gone, it was devastating. I spent years, literally years crying about my grandmother um, in such grief, and so during that time, my mother had no compassion for me through that she has, was in so much of her own pain, and it wasn't I was say. she you know she she didn't want to, she just couldn't she had zero zero ability to be there for me. She was in her own recovery. And it was very common at that time when parents had children at young ages. Um, and it was just a different time and they tended to do what was done to them. They tended to mirror. They didn't have the kind of information we have. I didn't have the ability to access it. We do, we have now. And, um, so what I did is I ran away. I was a runner from the moment I came out. I came out early. I was breech, feet first. Let's go. <laughs> how,
0: how old were you when you ran away?
1: I well, I left. Well, the first time I mean, like ran away, ran away consciously was thirteen. But when wow. I was yes, when I was a little girl, little girl, I used to leave all the time. Five years old, I would leave all day long. This was a difference between my generation and and uh, my daughters, my stepdaughters and my husband. It, uh, it my husband's generation, the same way. Go out and play. Be back before dark.
0: No phones. No nothing. Like no, nobody's the wiser. And it's like you, you do not even give it a second thought that there's pedophiles out. There's there's criminals. There could be someone to abduct a child. Like that doesn't now. I walk. I live right next to my kid's school, and I walk them to school. They're seven. They're in second grade, mind you, so they're not like babies. But, like, I and I make sure I see them go through the doors. Like I'm <laughs> overprotective with these kids, and I have all girls, so like, there's that dynamic. But, so like, I can only imagine what it what it what they have to go through. Like, man, I remember just, oh, see you later, bye. Don't know how you're going to reach me
1: uh, ex- oh, all day, <laughs> all, yeah. all day. And, you know, and it's so funny because the same thing with Ardar, she's 28 now, but she's you know, she's—I call her my daughter my stepdaughter, but she's like my daughter. I've had her for; she's got me. I'm her bonus mom, yeah. and yeah. Um, and she's got a lovely mom as well. And uh, but she, you're just you're
0: just mom number two or or mom B,
1: I'm bonus. Yes, I'm mom there. You go the bonus. And uh, but she's you know she's definitely like my kid, and we and we just laugh about. She's like you're so lucky, and then at the same time. She loves it her whole life was, you know, very sheltered in that way. She has yeah. different experience. I mean, she's, you know, she, she's had so much protection, but yes. So I was gone. And what I was doing during those years, being by myself and in nature, like real wild nature out in the mountains of Santa Barbara, running around rattlesnakes, big cats, little cats, Uh, all manner, you know, streams, rivers, salamanders are my most, one of my most favorites, predators all over the place, ways to die off cliffs, you know, falling just ways to die and how I'm tarantulas and how I just had no fear there. So what I did and how I healed was nature embraced me. I saw in the gentleness I needed in the salamander, the slowness the way I would focus watching this, this, the water spiders playing across the top of the water, walking on water, dancing across the water, playfully, you know, zigzagging across from each other. And it made me giggle. The the birds, the trees I would lean into, that strength and solidness, that that just that protection and that wisdom. I always felt supported. So there was, and the the smell of the grass, I would go and I'd find sour grass and I would eat it. I knew I could eat sour grass and the flowers and the petals from it. Nature showed me what my parents couldn't, what they didn't have the ability to at the time. Their trauma just didn't allow them to. My, My biological father was adopted out of an orphanage. He was desperately wounded. He disappeared the same week as my grandmother died. My mom left. And so they both were gone in the same week. And then shortly after that, about six months later, my stepdad came into the picture, and he was a Vietnam vet. Serious PTSD. Whole other world, you know. And there was just violence and trauma everywhere. Nature, as violent as it can be, is not a violent, traumatic place. It is a place that we're connected to, that serves us, that gives us, endlessly, if we just step outside and look, there's something that's going to make us feel awe. There's something that, I mean, there's a gnat. This tiny little gnat's flying around. That little thing can fly. (laughs) That little thing's flying. And it's like, I can't fly. This tiny little creature that I can't even see, just a little tiny, you know, is flying. It just makes me giggle and things like that as a kid. And so what it did is it released me from the trauma. It remapped it through my emotional response instead of being, you know, I I just resisted being trapped and I just was very confrontational. I said no and I ran. And so I started running as a very young child. They were little runaways constantly.
0: Like how long would they last?
1: Well, all day. And then one one time I did it at school and boy, thought I was going to die this day. Did I get in trouble for this one? I think it was in first grade, so five, six years old. It was probably the first time I actually ran away. I had a friend, this just popped into my mind, it's so funny, I forgot about this. I had a friend um, that asked me if I would go home with her, and I was like, go home with somebody else? Yes! <laughs> I want to go to your house because going home to my house, I never knew what was going to happen. I didn't know if it was going to be a good day or a bad day, if it was going to be. Mm -hmm. I just never knew. And it was never safe. It felt so scary.
0: If you don't mind my asking, and you don't have to answer this, were you abused Mm -hmm. or was it just your mom and you were witnessing it?
1: No, my mother wasn't abused. Well, she wasn't abused by my stepdad. No, she was abused by her father. But okay. I was abused by my mother and my stepfather. Oh. Yes, my mother was violent, like my her father, and she drank, and she had, uh, you know, she she was doing what a lot of people um, did is they just did what was done to them. With, yeah. You know, without the tool of self awareness, without the understanding that your job is to do something different, mm-hmm. your job is to see it, acknowledge it, make a different choice. Takes work.
0: It's hard. It it it, it does. It is difficult, and, and and I can only imagine as a child, like how that shapes you. I mean, because you seem lovely, and just you know, like pure joy. And I can't, <clears throat> I can't picture, I can't picture the trauma. I can only see like happiness and fulfillment and and love and which obviously you did your part, you know, like you were able to essentially, like you said, remap, rewire. Um, and, And when you say nature, the way that you're describing it, the way that I see it is like you're witnessing life take place, like real life. You get to see, you know, animals or creatures basically hunting for their food to, you know, mating to just, drinking some water or whatever the case may be. Like, you're just witnessing life. And I think what is interesting is that you're present and you're able to be present. So you're able to just take it in all at once as it is. And I can picture it, Um, which honestly is a beautiful thing because like, if you look at what we do in today's world, we're constantly behind screens. I mean, we're behind the screen right now, but constantly behind screens. Our intention span is out the window. Um, And, we are there's so many different distractions and there's you know, like the screens is a big one, but then like we, we always have like all these oh I have I have this, I have that, I have this, I have that. I've gotta go 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 I gotta go to this appointment, I gotta get groceries and gotta pick up the kids from school and then I gotta do this. I'm like, whoa. Like I truly believe that like people who have because 'cause I'm one of them, like attention deficit disorder, things like that. I don't even think it's a disorder. Like the more that I look at it, I think that all of this stuff was brought on by the, the 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 craziness of the world that is today. I don't think we're designed like that. I think we're designed to like do three things. That's it, literally, and that's hunt, eat, and fuck. Pardon my French. Like that. That's it. I, I really believe that. And then obviously like survive and and whatnot. And then here we are, like, been thrown into this modern civilization where, like, you're pretty soon going to have, like, a barcode in your palm that you're going to scan, you know? Like, God forbid. And and it's like, if I'm already having, like, this much anxiety, like, what is it going to be in the next 20 years, the next 30 years for our children or children's children? Like, it's that, in my opinion, is the epidemic. Um, so without getting too far, I just wanted to mention that because I just think it's beautiful – that you had that you were able to be present, that you had so much self awareness at such a young age, that you're able to escape that and not get into anything damaging. Cause like you hear stories, people who come from broken homes or, or homes where, you know, their parents were abusive or on any regard, they end up picking up a habit or or, you know, a drinking problem where they repeat the same mistakes, right? And you're able to break that cycle and, and look at the life you're able to amass. Like that's a beautiful thing. I think you should be not only congratulated, but you should be um, awarded like the coolest medal in the world. I don't know, I'll make it. I'll send it to you.
1: <laughs> Please do. That's so funny. okay, well, we didn't get to my teen years because nowhere. yes,
0: let's go to teen years.
1: There I did.
0: We still got time.
1: okay <laughs> yeah, so um so yes, that that place when we're young, that is. The light, that's the subtitle of my book, Discovering Yourself Through the Light of Your Innocence. That is the place of our innocence where we can, we always have access to, we can always go there, we can always heal from there. It is such a pure, beautiful place. Life is so filled with adventure. Then the teen years come. And at that point, the overwhelm of your you know, my body changing, all this Mm -hmm. stuff that was, I'm a total tomboy, by the way, too. And then all of a sudden it was like, what the heck is this? (laughs) Literally, this is a pain in my, you know, lifestyle here. (laughs) I was not happy about this. And I was young when things started. I was, you know, 11 and it was not okay. And And then, you know, people start looking at you incorrectly and yeah. families where there's drinking and friends of families and things are not, it's not correct. That is a time where I got, I went through some really challenging experiences <clears throat> and I started using, I started the, the, the impression, the, there's a thing I say, all my kids know this water on a rock, at least groove. Mm-hmm. And so the environment we grew up in, it's like water on a rock. There's a groove. There's a groove from that environment. How we choose to either fall into it or regroove it, see the groove, experience it, and, you know, and put our own water, our own river on it, and start changing the way, the tra- trajectory of that groove. That's something that I decided to do when I ran away permanently. I, I ran away the first time at 13, you know, like legit runaway, have to drag me back by the police, halfway my house, that whole situation. Again, at uh, 14, um, it just got really, really bad in my house. And um, I was not capable of not confronting. I was in so much pain. The overwhelm from what was going on in my head, the teen, becoming a teen, and the dysfunction in the family. It was just... Too much for that my mind to handle, and the teen years are uh, just—we all need so much comfort during that period, and often we don't get enough, and uh, which is why suicide between the ages of ten and twenty-four is a second (coughs) leading cause of death. It's it's unacceptable. Um, We need to learn to to take care of our teens better, and at that time there was really nothing
0: especially girls,
1: especially girls. And so we, I started using, I started using cocaine. I started using mm-hmm. pot. I started drinking a lot to the point of, and what I was doing is I was trying to kill myself. I was, I was just seeing how much I could take and I was very self-destructive and it was, I was, I was hurting myself intentionally. And a couple times I tried to uh, legitimately take myself out.
0: Really? Oh, yes.
1: And uh, it was during one of those experiences um, that I heard a voice. And I had just come back from being away at a school for a year after being a runaway and put in a halfway house and them trying to take me back home. And this was a time when you just didn't have much of a voice as a kid. They were always going to try and get you home. And no matter how bad it was, they were going to try and get you home. And I said, no, I'm not going. And I and I remember the lady at the uh, at the halfway house and the sheriff. They were just like, this kid. I said, no, I'm not going. I'm not going to go home with them. My parents were behind me, police officer and the lady in front of me. And I was calling the shots because I was pissed. So there was a time when the joy, it was, armor was in place of the joy. I I covered my softness, and I was a little warrior for my voice and for my rights to choose. I knew I wanted something different, but I did not have the wisdom or the knowledge on how to, you know, how to get there. So.
0: Well, you were a child. I mean, (laughs) in my opinion, you are a child until what is it a woman's brain doesn't fully develop until 22 and a man is 30 so like and i still think you're children at that point like i was still a child at 30 years old hell i'm still a kid at heart but like as far as like being able to understand and have some sort of aptitude for what's going on in your life on a like cellular level and then being able to go through and decipher all that emotional like battery i think that's like no one can blame you for not figuring that out. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's a lot, it's a lot to handle, but continue.
1: Yeah. It's a a huge amount to handle. And you know, you're reacting to life as a teen. You're, you're reacting to life. It's, you just have no choice response. What the hell is that? I'm reacting. And that's just what you do. You just react and, you know, bless you. If your parents have some ability to handle it. Your reactions, because that's your job as a parent to understand your kids in reaction. Their job is to push your envelope, to hit your triggers, and to call you out. It's what they do. They're going to do it. Your job is to figure out how to respond the best way, to keep their, you know, to keep their dignity intact, to help them to evolve and to develop a, a strong sense of who they are, so they can navigate the world. And that's not the environment I was in, but there was something in me from nature that said, I have a right to live. I have a right to my voice. I have a right to this experience and I'm not cool with what you're doing. And I would always also run interference. I have three sisters. So I have an older sister and two little sisters. So I was the interference.
0: I was just about to ask if you had siblings and all girls,
1: all girls, <clears throat> all girls. And I just was the outspoken, inter- I ran interference. I was the one who would say, you know, just got in the way of it. And so I got, you know, I was the one that was in this position more often.
0: How, how was it for your sisters? Were, was it as dramatic for them as it was for you? Um,
1: in the, in the, how I, not physically, but how I look at it, that dynamic is that it really is a dependent on the person's make up who they are, what they've asked for, how they engage the world. My sisters have all had drug and alcohol, and they, if they aren't still, they've been seriously wounded by their addictions. Um, they've been seriously wounded by the experience of our family. They're uh, much more suppressive and much more... Um, they're just much more suppressive and numbing it than I was. I had a voice of confrontation and a voice of choice, uh, from a young age. And I just, I just chose myself rather than the safe route, which is do, you know, shut up and do what I say or else. And that's, um, I just didn't have, I didn't have the disposition for that. And my sisters numb themselves and they, so they have suffered terribly and still do. Um, so you know, it, it really is how we're made up and what we choose, and um, you know, my heart breaks for my sisters all the time. So it's, it's all it's a,
0: of them. All of them are, are struggling. All of them to this day.
1: Yes, they've all been through the same the same issues. Not as much physical abuse, but the same the same emotional abuse, which sometimes is so much worse than physical. Um, you can watch a bruise heal, but if you don't have the tools or the d- willingness the want to, to go in there and find the bruise inside yourself, inside your body, inside your spirit and heal it as your loving parent, as your loving, you know, uh, advisor to yourself, then it's a bruise that never heals. And it creates terrible magnets for things in your life, a constant cycle. And I've just seen them in the same cycle of the family legacy. Stop. <laughs> and, um, so that's been that's been the hardest to see my my family and all at the same time to say I can't do anything about that I made my choice I can only be an example I can only be here and I will and I am uh, but you got to want to ask and that's the thing I did is I I asked nonstop I had people like me in my life from a young age I was determined and, and I just had that. That self-determination of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my answers, damn it. <laughs> and I'm not going to take these drugs. I don't see anyone in my family that's on alcohol and drugs that is happy. They're all so tragically sad and pained and violent and, you know, and, you know, or killing themselves or have killed themselves. And I just didn't want that. I, I saw the opposite in nature, which was just all this life. Like you said, it's just life happening. And I knew it was a part of that. So I went there. And, um, yeah, so I, I left when I was 13 uh, and then went to a private school for a year in therapy with a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, misfits as, you know, the misfit Land Misfit Toys is is what my friend calls it. We were all wounded, struggling children that had been through violence and and, uh, difficult families and or social society experiences. And we all found ourselves there together. And then I went home after that. Things were supposed to change. But I was just too big of a mirror. My no was too much from a parent's. And so I left permanently at uh, just a little older than 15 and moved to Los Angeles and got emancipated at 16 and had the blessing of a uh, family that took me in and let me live with them and helped me get emancipated. And uh, I started therapy when I was 14 at that school, and I never stopped. So
0: so what happened after you got emancipated at 16? Just real quick.
1: Well, I worked. I went to college, junior college, studied child psychology and psychology. I wanted to know about myself. Uh, and then I was, as they say, discovered <laughs> by a photographer at 17 and, uh, thought he was a pedophile, told him to bleep off and get away mm-hmm. from me. Cause <laughs> guys who looked at girls and said they were pretty, were not guys to be safe around when I was, you know, it was my history. It was like, no, no. Uh, and so I, um, told him to go away and eventually, um, the lady uh, that I was living with and the neighbor said, no, he said, he's a neighbor. He's really nice. He's a legit photographer. And maybe, maybe you should try, maybe mm-hmm. you should try, let him take a picture. And I said, okay, as long as, as a friend of mine comes with me and I did, and it just kind of rolled out from there. It just became like a, an experience. I, the one thing I always did is I embraced adventure and opportunity that never stopped. From being an How
0: old were you when you got approached for the photography?
1: Seventeen.
0: Yeah, if I was your dad and that was my daughter, I'd be like, get the exactly. out of here. <laughs> my my twenty-two-year-old, now she's technically my stepdaughter, but I don't believe in step in this family. Exactly. You know, it's probably part of my heritage. I'm Lebanese. Um <clears throat> but I remember this is, this isn't to make you sad or anything, but one of my grandfather's last moments on earth, <clears throat> my twins had just been born. I think they were like maybe like six, seven months old at the time, just fat round babies. And, and he said to me, one of the last things he said to me was, he said, never treat her like she's any different than those two. And like, I already have that, like I, that's instilled in me, but for him to say it, I don't know. In like his final moments, cause I think he passed like a month or two after that. Was really like it really resonated with me, and I try and like I instinctively never treated her differently. Like, I'm actually probably harder on her than on the twins, and that's only because she's older and I have high expectations for her because she is a lazy 22 year old. But when she puts her head down and actually does what she's supposed to do, she like exceeds her own expectations. I'm like, this is the time to like you have all the energy like how are you tired like i work 16 hours a day how are you tired you know what i mean like come on let's go but i i adore her and so like even she the whole point of that was she was like well you know i wanted to do modeling i'm like absolutely not that's not happening especially in today's world I'm like why? So some freaking psycho can ask for like a feet foot picture and let him pay you a hundred bucks for? We're not doing that. Sorry, no. So like when people always ask me, is like how how is it like you just have a house full of girls? I'm like, well, I uh, I work out and I'm going to get on steroids when I'm on fifty years old so I can look like this, and I just need to bulk up. I need to bulk up and have a bunch of guns in my house, and I think we're set. Exactly. That's pretty much it. So so I can only imagine maybe back then it wasn't as like crazy, uh, it was crazy you know like especially like now with like social media like you get a picture and it's like oh. god forbid where is it now
1: It's insane. Well, I didn't <clears throat> I didn't have any parents at the time. I did, but I was emancipated. And, I didn't yeah. I was my own adult. And but I was yes, so young and I was I, I had, you know, my shield, my armor at that time. I was very yeah. guarded. Smart and yes, uh, in that way, very guarded. But but you know, I I eventually did, and then I was bored. I was like, Okay, I'm supposed to just sit here, <laughs> take pictures of me. What is this? So I ended up, you know, it ended up evolving, and I got into it for a while. Then I and then I got really bored, and um, and I worked in graphic design. Mm. You know, artists through and through. And so I loved that. And then I jumped back into it um, because uh, the acting, the commercial stuff started kicking, you know, and I I did a couple commercials in Europe and I got to go travel. That is something that, and, you know, I just moved to Italy and people were like, and I was 18 when I first did it. They were like, you're moving to Italy. Aren't you freaking out? I was like, no, I had no.
0: What's holding me back here?
1: Yeah. What's holding me back here. Exactly. It's, 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 I had this nature that what's out there is a lot more adventurous and fun and exciting than anything that I knew. And so I had, I had had wonderful experiences. So I was really blessed that way. Um, and a great experience in, in Italy and, um,
0: what a place to be.
1: Yeah, just love. I, it's like I was so drawn there. I still am. I love Italy. Um, so, yeah, and then I, you know, and then it kind of evolved from there. I got into the acting side of it, uh, and I used the same tools. The tools that I redesigned my life as a kid in nature came in handy as an actor. I was like, wait a minute. This is very similar to my imagination, except, I'm, okay, I'm applying it to this person I had this really developed imagination so it was it was kismet that I was drawn to it and I uh, so I had and have success and love it and it it just is part of my nature Mm -hmm. to to uh, create in that way and I used what I learned as an actor to help further refine how I wanted my life as I was coming out of you know it wasn't like it was suddenly joy joy happy happy I went through all manner life would trigger something and something that I went through would come up and I'd have to deal with it I was in Jungian uh, therapy for analysis Jungian analysis at the Jungian Institute in LA for years Uh, they were trying to figure me out (laughs) like I don't understand how one you're not in jail or dead (laughs) After hearing my story, like, I just don't understand how you have a smile on your face. And I was like, how can I not have a smile on my face? The world is available. And they were just like, I, okay. And so I was, I spent years and they would, you know, trigger things that I lived through. And I had this, you know, I would, I would go from being so happy to just being so depressed and reclusive. Something would come up and it was really severe and boyfriend at the time, he was like, okay, you can put those six shooters on your hips away. Okay. I'm not going to hurt you. That was my thing is the trust. I didn't trust people really. It was like, what are they really? Everybody was suspect. So it took me a long time. Cause I didn't, I just didn't know I could let people in and they were not going to try and, you know, when the people in your immediate family are the people that hurt you the most,
0: yeah, that's it devastating.
1: really does I think, <clears throat> trust uh, path. And you have to th- redevelop that. So that's probably what took me the longest.
0: How old were you when you met your now husband?
1: Uh, my husband, I have the most amazing story. I met my husband the first time when I was 19 years old, almost 20. Wow. And he uh, he worked at a modeling agency I was with. That's funny. As Yes, their CPA. And I, at 20 had have had a cpa so he became a friend of mine who i tried to set up several times with friends of mine and could not see him for the life of me as a partner in my life my my dream Mm -hmm. uh for 11 years we were friends
0: you're kidding
1: no 11 years
0: did he like you like, more than a friend? He,
1: he did. He told me, uh, He told me. Uh, you know, I had and always knew. And I was like, you know, I, I always had such great... He was the one person. This is really interesting. Though, is he was the one person I did trust. The one person naturally trusted. We'd have these long conversations. I have no skeletons with this guy. He knew everything about me. All the crazy relationships. Previous marriage, you know. the, the I mean, I always went out with... I, OK, I'm just going to leave that part out for I'll be on the phone for on the call for an hour, another hour. But, oh, my relationships were hilarious. And he, uh, you know,
0: did you go out with cartoons? <laughs> just curious.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> not really. I went out with musicians.
0: And <laughs> oh, I know all about them.
1: Yes. I went out with okay '90s musicians with the long hair and the crazy behavior, mm-hmm. and yes, 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 I did. Uh, oh, yeah, it was interesting. And uh, and so he was like, "What is this girl doing? I know who she is in there. What's she doing?" Well, I wasn't trusting. I was still not ready to trust in that area. I was still dealing with my own abuse in that in the intimacy area. Yeah, what I had lived through. And so that area was, you know, and and I was always gone. So relationship with somebody who wasn't really reliable (laughs) was also just just kind of worked Had our own lives. And um, yeah, so we were friends. And and then, you know, my girlfriend, he called. I was going through divorce, selling my house. And uh, I've been through a divorce, actually, and I, I was just in the point of my life where I was like, okay, I'm just going to focus on my work. I'm done with relationships. I'm just going to be celibate. I'm over it. I can't figure this out. I just keep choosing the craziest people. And uh, wonderful experience and blessings because I have stepkids as a result, um, which, who, who I adore. But in the personal area, it was like, who... Are these people? <laughs> I keep choosing, I'm like choosing them because I want to take care of their kids or, you know, and it's like, I'm here to help their kids. And I'm not about, you know, their kids need me. So I'm, you know, there for the kids. And then there's the dad comes with the package and it's like, what am I doing? But thank God I was there for the kids. And thank God they were, you know, we have that, you know, it, it was just an interesting experience. And so my girlfriend says, she hears Jeff, who's calling me because I'm working out all my finances. He's my CPA. And, uh, and She's like, do you uh, uh, this guy? He called. I heard. I'm just not. I wasn't eavesdropping, but I I heard his voice. And have you ever considered dating him? I think that there's something there. And I was like, no, He's like a brother. I mean, he's. I've tried to set him up. In fact, I'm trying to set him up with a friend at the ranch right now, who has a horse with my. You know, she her boards of my horse. And she's like, well, I don't know. You might want to consider. He, I. Think that there's something there that's really good for you. I'm just saying. And uh, randomly I invited him out on a paddling adventure that this friend of mine who had, um, she had, uh, oh my gosh, why can't I think of the name of the horses right now? But they're crazy, crazy horses. They're lovely, but they're really, uh, uh, I can't think of them, but they're the most hyper horses ever. And they're really, really big uh, racers. Uh, not their breeds. Okay but uh, they're just, they can run long distance and they're super, super, super hyper. And she was too. And she wanted to go paddling. And I thought, I'm going to be Jonah. This girl's nuts. I'm going to either be in the middle of the channel and we're going to be floating and it's going to be a rescue. (laughs) And I just happened to be talking to him that day. And I said, I'm going paddling. And he goes, Oh, out like what kind? And I said, in the ocean in Malibu, I'm terrified. The girl I'm going with doesn't know what the heck she's doing, but I said, yes. And he goes, you never paddled? And I said, no. And he said, well, I I, I said, have you? And he said, he goes, yeah, some. And I said, okay, well, please come because I would like to make this, make it out of this alive. And so he, he came. And he's actually did more than some. He's an, a, an outrigger paddler, a, a competitive, world-class paddler. Who paddled. Wow. Yeah, the Molokai opening. and Humble. <laughs> yeah, he's very quiet about all that stuff. But he... He, uh, he did the Molokai Open for 20 years, which is Hawaii. It's one of the biggest outrigger paddling races in the world. And uh, we're talking, you know, huge, massive waves. And, that's, and so he was there, and he came. And I saw a side of him that I'd never seen before. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I wonder if my girlfriend, I mean, wow, he is such a cool guy. And it just kind of evolved from there. And he is the love of my life. He is just like, we are the best of friends. And... But he's the goofiest, funniest, silliest guy. Gets me 100%. I can spin all I want. He gets me. <laughs> and he knows everything about me. There's nothing, and he just, you know, and it's one of those relationships. And we do the same thing that you just at the top of this interview. We do the same thing. Sometimes I'll look at him and I'll go, who the heck are you living in the house I inhabit? <laughs> Yep. It's like, and he looks Absolutely. at me. Absolutely. Same thing. He's like, "Wow, this is so weird."
0: It's really weird, and not not to like sound super corny, but like when my wife and I were dating, I was miserable. I was working. I was running my family's business, which was the car business, and it was long, long, long days, and you never had a break. You never had a day off for years, <clears throat> and I don't know how the hell she stuck with me during that time because I. I hardly saw her. <clears throat> so the the moments that I did see her were like, like I treasured them. And like I would I would literally tell her, I'm like, I cannot wait for the day that you and I get to wake up next to each other every day for the rest of our lives. And I knew it. I knew it within like, I don't know, maybe like a couple months of, of dating her that that, that was going to be it. And like the first two months, we didn't even see each other. Like it was a con- – we met on Facebook just so you know. And, and we just built a friendship. Literally, we just talked every day on the phone or via, like, chat, um, like, uh, G-chat. It's, like, the old-school way of doing Messenger. Yeah. Um, and we built our relationship strictly on friendship. We got to know one another. It was, like, two, three months, actually, now that I think about it. And, and so, like, the moment that that happened, I was like, wow, this is amazing. So, like, I really believe that any, any long-term successful relationship has to have some form of friendship Baseline. Like you don't want to just be friends because then you don't get the good stuff, and you don't want to just be in a relationship because then you don't get any of that good stuff. And so it's like, you, you, how do you have a relationship with someone where you can't be authentically you, and like to not feel judged or to to not be ridiculed and and to just, you know, to just be. And I think that's a beautiful story. The fact that it was an eleven year gap and then all of a sudden he turns out to be the love of your life. Like you can't make that shit up. That's pretty cool. So I, I applaud you both. I think that's uh, that's wonderful that you were able to both realize that and and, and build a, a loving and lasting relationship. I think that's awesome. It's it's inspiring.
1: It was it was a trip, and you know you're right. I tell everyone out they're like, because when people meet us, they'll say, uh, "How long have you guys been together?" It'll we'll be like 21 years, and we've known each other for 34, and they're like what? I thought you guys just got married. Like you're so goofy together. <laughs> and it's like, well, and I was like, what is that? And I said, we were friends and for a really long time. And I just have to say, don't hop in the sack with the person you meet right away because that just, can I say the word?
0: You can do whatever you want and say whatever you want on my podcast.
1: Okay. that just fucks everything up. No pun intended.
0: There you go. There you go. It just, you heard me curse like six times.
1: Okay. Well, I, I I, don't know. I just.
0: Fuck, shit, crap. Who cares? Okay. Okay.
1: I'm not going to say Ricky Gervais's favorite word because he's one of my <laughs> favorites ever. And, uh, oh, my God. I love him.
0: That guy's a cartoon.
1: Oh, he is a cartoon for sure. Yeah. He's genius, though. I don't know if you've seen yeah. Afterlife or Derek. I have. <sighs> he's just genius. Uh, he's a.
0: Brilliant man, he is so. I brilliant. agree with you.
1: Oh, I just absolutely love him. Um, but yes, uh, that's everything. That's everything to be friends first, because and to get past the point where you're just itching to be together that way, let that go and get past it. Yeah. And then let it build from the friendship. I mean, there was a point where I was like, "This is." Is this what is this? Is it? It was so unfamiliar because of being of that part of my life having been taken from me at such a young age, not ever knowing what it felt like to give myself to somebody. Yeah, I never had that experience that I was giving myself to someone. And that is so important. And even when you're in that space of all that physical, all the endorphins, all the, you know, the rush of that sexual attraction... Give me a second while I choke.
0: You're good. I'll, I'll, I'll edit that out. You're good. Unless you want to leave it in there, and I'll just remix it.
1: <clears throat> I just swallowed. The thing about lines is sometimes I cause this. So when you're in that sexual drive, that there's just all those endorphins, all that energy is just like bursting inside you. You mm-hmm. aren't giving yourself from no. your heart and your mind Your body has just hijacked you Mm -hmm. and you aren't in charge of that. And as a woman, when you allow yourself to not step in the responsibility, it's our responsibility to say, "Mm, damn, this feels really good and I really want to give into my body right now. And it's a man's too. But the woman tends to be more damaged by the relinquishing this responsibility than men do often. Yeah. Uh, Is when you don't step in there and say, Hey, hang on, hang on, hang on. I got you. we're not going to do this right now. And you let your body hijack you into that kind of intimacy, which is what I did for a long time because I hadn't, because it was taken from me that There's such a quantum leap of growth and and a gift of self-awareness that comes with that responsible one simple move of, I really want to do this right now, but I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to go sit with this, get my body a little bit more, understand my body a little bit more, and let's have a conversation in a couple days. Because there's a lot for me to absorb right now because this is really wanting – I really want to do this. When you can do that, it changes your life. It It
0: does. And I I think a lot of what you're saying is the lust part. It's like you're completely – like that first section, that is lust. And if there's one thing that I could have done differently is like the first – not the conversation piece but the the part where we met, I was instantly – because I was super attracted to her like already – from a <clears throat> like personal side because we got to know each other and I and I loved her like that, you know. And then when I met her in person, like she's hot, so I was physically attracted. And I was young, like I was twenty four years old when I met my wife. I had no real relationship prior to that. I had relationships, but they're looking back on it now like those weren't relationships. Those were like childlike I don't know what you want to call them. Just a yeah, yeah. So like I learned a lot with her, but I also I fucked up a lot with her Because of my insecurities, because of my lack of understanding and knowledge, because of my lack of self-awareness. And so, like, if I could have a do-over, I would probably even postpone, like, the sexual part of the relationship even further. Um, Or at least not be so, like, because I was just, I was literally like, like, you just bred a horse and he's ready to rock and roll. Like, it was just, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. was this beautiful woman and she's right there. and, And, like, I'm cuz like I was never one to like I never really dated. I had girlfriends. I was never one of those guys that just like played the field. It wasn't my thing. I don't know. I'm just not wired that way. I don't give a fuck who believes me or not. I'm just not. And so like when I when I build a relationship or like I have some interest and there's some form of chemistry, you know, that's when I like start to have those feelings. And it was and it was like it was the most it was like I was hypersensitive with her. It was the most I've ever experienced. And I don't think I've ever told her this. And it was just, it was so crazy. I didn't know how to respond to it. So it's like, what I felt here and what I felt here and what came out was like this weird jumble of of words that came out as this like little insecure boy who had no idea what he was talking about. I don't know how she stuck around. I have no idea. Maybe it was my goofiness. I really attributed to that. Um, Other than that, I I, I don't know. I wasn't anything special. I was just, you know, stupid, ignorant kid who had no business trying to be in a serious relationship. Not that this matters, but she's she's six years, six years older than me. So, you know, that not to say that six years is a big stretch, but that's a long time because in six years, (laughs) what I've been able to go through from a just from a growth standpoint, let alone relationship, it's huge. Like huge, huge. Like what I what I do in a year is is insane. So six years is pretty drastic. Anyways, I don't know where I was going with that. I just I wanted to comment on what you were saying and I thought that was really critical because if you can like if you can put off that, that lustful section, that part where you're just like, oh and then and then build a foundation, I think you'll either know if it's the real thing and if you're just wanting sex, right? <clears throat> Yeah. You'll either know it's a real thing and you want to play it out or you're just wanting sex and you're just turned on by her because, you know, we're animals and that's what happens. I get it. Um, So I love that. I love I love how you broke that down. And I just wanted to throw in my two cents because maybe guys are listening. They're like, I don't know what she's talking about, bro.
1: Well, it's. It, I love that you said that because it was It was likely your transparency because all the things that when you were just telling me about what you were going through as a woman, I'm listening to it going, this is adorable. The transparency of, of having this and this and this all going all at once and not knowing and you're like, what the heck, I don't know how she said, because you were completely transparent. And a lot of guys are afraid to be that transparent. But when you do hold off, like you're saying... The empowerment you give yourself is making the choice of is this real or do I just want sex? And if you decide you just want sex, you're going into it at least eyes wide open, not being hijacked by your physical yet undiscovered or aware of how you operate physically uh, experience of you at this point. And,
0: And not misleading her and yourself at the same time.
1: Totally. And, you know, and my husband and I, even though we had been friends for 11 years, once we started actually dating, I mean, the first couple days, I wouldn't even go on a date with him by myself. I brought friends and, <laughs> and then I went on, he, then they invited me on a date and he goes, don't worry, there's 10 people. It's going to be on the date. So you're good. And that was like, it was so funny. So we didn't go on a date alone for a long time, but we didn't, it was months. It was like three months. And then it did before we even like. And I was feeling all that. And I was like, am I ever going to feel this again? And I'm like – and then it was so weird because it was so different because I was owning my responsibility to myself and I was not allowing that. And I was watching it, observing it and going, okay, this is interesting. Part of me wants this right now, but the other part saying, no, you're not doing that.
0: But you were – well, you were able to look at him from like a lustful perspective as well.
1: Yeah, eventually. Okay. Eventually. I didn't – I d- was so guarded because what I had just been through – yeah, and I was like, I'm not going there. I'm just like, you know, and then yes, then it got totally that way. And it was like, wow. And then I res- resisted the lust and we would just, you know, be very, to be, you know, a hundred percent transparent. We would just literally lay within it and not do anything and just let the experience of being on the edge and, and not doing it be our reality for a while because it just was the right thing to mm-hmm. do for us. And then as as it evolved and as our experiences evolved, it's just become like this crazy... I'm, I'm crazy about this person. I get butterflies when he's coming home. It's been 21 years. Like, what is that? I'm still excited. My husband's coming home and I'm just like, thank you, God. <laughs> this is so good. <laughs> it's the best. So I, I'm all about, you know, letting people just... Don't let your body hijack you. There's a whole lot to be said about personal responsibility. <laughs> There's a whole lot to be
0: said. For yeah.
1: Longevity and joy. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that, that 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 part will come. And when it does, it'll be beautiful and it'll be reciprocal and, yeah. and and it'll be real. It won't seem like it's, you know, like I always found lust to be like fabricated, like 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 an empty vessel. Like, okay, because that, like, that was the whole problem with porn, not to make this a conversation about porn, but, like, I can't tell you how many men I knew that were married that were addicted to pornography. I'm like, and again, believe me or not, I don't give a shit, but I'm like, here's my rationale with porn, okay? If if you love porn and it's something that you do with you and your significant other, hey, mazel tov, okay? But, but what I'm talking about is, like, the 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 ramifications of porn that literally ruin marriages, oh. and and I know this firsthand, personally from from friends of mine, where <clears throat> it leads to things. It it leads to adultery or un, on different forms. It could lead to resentment. It could lead to um, whatever. Right. It's like it's like a gateway. Um, and for me, it was like the moment that I started like like actually being with girls, I'm like, why, why would I look at a, why would I watch a video? I have that over there. Yeah. Yeah. Or I can go and you know what I mean? So like, I never logically, never made any sense to me, nor was it ever like, uh, whatever. But I know people that, that, you know, that's part of their, you know, their, their lovemaking. But I also know people where guys use it as a means to escape and they sedate. But that can also be replaced with alcohol, drugs, whatever the case may be. Like, you can sedate on anything. But it's, I've found that pornography tends to be, like, the number one culprit to men who start resenting their wives and, like, you know, start having adulterous relationships with other people. And it's, it usually starts out with communication, and then it leads into photos and then videos. And then, boom, you start doing the deed, and now you've got a divorce, you've got a family, you've got a broken home. And it's like, and I've seen it happen, I've seen it unfold, and it's fucking crazy to me. Like, all of this because you think that your relationship is based on sex. Bro, let me tell you something. Sex is like another art of communication that you have with your significant other. And I always thought that sex was like the thing that I wanted. It wasn't, it was a connection with my wife that I thought I had lost. And I find that that was the common denominator with a lot of men who are very like, driven, you know, hard types. I'm not saying that I am. I'm just saying like, you know, type A type individuals, you know, uh, entrepreneurs, business owners, that kind of thing. Um, You know, a lot of a lot of uh, uh, a lot of guys that are just very like drivers, if you know what I'm saying. Absolutely. And because it's those types of people. And and I did fit in this category for, for a while. But it's those individuals, those types of people that have this frustration where like they feel like they feel like they can't ex- express themselves emotionally because the weight of the world is on their shoulders and they were raised and brought up in, in a world where you fucking you literally you don't cry, you hold everything in, you bottle it up inside and you suck it up and you be a fucking man. That's right. And I was raised that way. And and that, that was the dynamic and I and, and I really sympathize and empathize with a lot of men um and and so it becomes difficult to like how do you get into a relationship like i'm asking you walker like how do you get into a relationship and then and then create a family with that kind of mindset like of course if your wife stops sleeping with you what do you think like the first thing that these guys think and i was there for a while is oh well she doesn't love me or she doesn't whatever so i'm gonna go and find out you know i'm gonna go and solve this issue myself because i need that release when in reality, it was never a physical thing. It was a psychological thing. Like, you just didn't feel like you were connecting with your wife, which is crazy to me.
1: I love the way you, just use the statement, the title you gave it. It's another form of connection and communication with my wife. It is so much a communication. It is so much a communication. And that's why, like, when you said it's a gateway, I, I, I agree. It can be, I mean, disappointment. Disappointment. What are you disappointed in? What are you overwhelmed with that you're not communicating with that you're denying this level of communication with the person that you love the most because that person gets you. You're not accepting you possibly. And that's why it makes it so much easier to, to, to allow somebody you don't ever have to be responsible to, to communicate with you on a very superficial level and just give you a release that in your real world requires a vulnerable acceptance of where you are in this moment. So it's perspective and it, and it comes full circle right to what you just said. What kind of, I mean, it's in, it's indicative of where we are as a society. What kind of an experience are you giving people when you tell them that they have to live within this box? Women have to be this yeah. way. Men have to be the, th- be this way, like you said, you you described it so beautifully. No wonder our younger generation is saying, excuse the fuck out of me, but I'm not a her, a him, none of your crazy shit. I'm going to be the binary, non-binary, because what you guys have decided and what uh, I don't want that label on me. I want to experience my life and figure out what feminine, masculine, or or uh, non-binary is so that I can find my own identity, and I think that comes from just generations of this this uh, labeling that has given uh, so much pressure to men and women to live within that that you know uh, paradigm that doesn't mm-hmm. work. It doesn't work for this evolving connection. Sex is not something that just stays static. You do it one way, the way you did when you first met, and that, if it doesn't, if it's not that way forever, something's wrong. No, it needs to. It's a communication that is ever evolving. That's why I love how you said that.
0: I appreciate that. I wanted to ask you a clarifying question, and and again, if this anything you want to take out, we'll take out. Not a big deal, but th- this was interesting that you mentioned this, and I, and the reason why I'm bringing it up is because I fucking agree with you wholeheartedly, which is. Exactly what you said. Um, the kids are so fucking confused right now. They did, They have no idea what to do, and they're raised by men like that. They're raised in families, and they end up being so all over the place. And I don't know if it's boredom. I don't know if it's confusion. I don't know if it's a combination of the two. But now you're like you're creating, like, sexist. Like what, what? Like, listen. If I I will respect your wishes to be called whatever it is you want to be called. Cool. You want to be, you want me to, to, you know, you want to be labeled as, you know, a lamp. Hey, I'll call you the coolest fucking lamp in the world. That's your business. What I have a problem with is societal law and societal standards for our children. And, and it shouldn't have to be so like, you don't have to necessarily be pragmatic, but at the same time, you don't have to be so far optimistic in creating these nuances of, of, of gender identification. Because of the fact that we are in a society that I don't know, maybe it's it's like it's like we went all the way to the right. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, so we're gonna let wife beat her, be fine, you know, abuse her children, cool, smoke while you're pregnant, drink while you're pregnant, fine. All that kind of shit. And then it's like, oh, we go all the way to the other side of the freaking ocean, like what the fuck planet are we on right now? Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and forgive me if I'm, you know, overstepping on your beliefs or your friends or whatever. No. I have friends that I identify as that. I get it. This isn't a disrespect thing. This is just like, where are we going as like, as, as people? Yeah. This is too much, way too much. Uh,
1: there's a, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a lot of suffering. I, I think that one of the things that I have the biggest problem with is teaching
0: children yep. at
1: a young age what they should and shouldn't think of themselves as in within their sexuality. This is, we are in discovery as children. If we're born with a specific body part, should, ought we not be loving to the way we were born and what we were born yep. with? Ought we yep. not love and be grateful for the gift of what we, our life and the body that we have? That's Mm. the area where, for me, I get, I draw the line of, this is cruelty to children. They need to just be kids. Don't tell them that they now have to understand all these different pronouns and all this at such a young, grow up and they want in their teens and they decide, you know, in their late teens, look, I have always been uncomfortable with this. I mean, if if that's what they say, I've always been uncomfortable and they have the, mental capacity to make sense of it, then I think that you're... On but
0: they don't, though. They're children. Like, I understand there's always that variable. But, like, I'm sorry, you're not going to be a five-year-old and you're telling me that you think that, you know, you should be a, a I don't know, Decepticon. Like... No. You know, like an Autobot, whatever. Like, you you don't know. First of all, you don't have the capacity emotionally to understand. You don't have any kind of worldview and knowledge to be able to. It's like, okay, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom is the accumulation of knowledge over years and in perpetuity that has been actually had some sort of practical application in your life. You saw it. You lived it. You witnessed it, whatever the case. You don't have that until you've actually lived. That's right. Like, you have to actually spend years on this earth in order for you to formulate any kind of perspective. Yes. So when it comes to like a child being able to identify something like that, that is bonkers to me. And then the fact that you were wanting to teach my children, whoa, now we have a problem. Yeah. That is my biggest problem.
1: That is yes. That is mine too. And so like, and I, I think it should number one, not be in school. Kids need to be kids. And we, yeah, it, it not indoctrinated into belief systems because that is not cool and it's not just in this arena that we're dealing with you know indoctrination with kids in schools that's a whole other conversation uh, right the lack of freedom for kids to be kids and discover their aptitudes their strengths and the, not be you know directed and herded into specific burden overburden of information
0: yes. uh, emotional
1: information well said. Is, is really not cool and and if they when they come into their teens which again is a really volatile time and so you can't just say okay here I mean I don't agree I mean, you can't some people do and I'm, I'm not saying you know I'm not condemning people that do but I'm saying it's a dangerous and slippery slope when you let your teen say well I don't identify as I, I identify as this and I know I'm this and you don't take the time to educate and show them both sides and walk that road with them in a way that's Really about personal responsibility and awareness. When you just say yeah. okay, and you don't show the po- negative possibilities, you don't show both sides. You need to show both sides. There's, I mean, there are stories, stories after stories after stories of kids that have gone through, um, that have gone through uh, the, the medical. Sex change. Pardon.
0: Like a sex change? Yeah,
1: like a sex change, the medical, the all the drugs, and it committed suicide as a result of what it's done to them mentally.
0: Well, no shit. You're pumping yourself up with hormones either to get you to have more testosterone or more estrogen. Like, it's not natural.
1: It's not. And the fact that you – and but here's the thing. Part of it is that you put your child into this – You allow your child to walk into this and schools will hide it from you, which is crazy that there's any kind of school rule where your parents aren't welcome. Yeah,
0: we're going to have to have like a series, like a three-part series, you and I, and (laughs) I'm not taking no for an answer. I'm just letting you know right now. (laughs) You're going to have to make room in your calendar. I don't know what to tell you.
1: I'm I'm here with you. Absolutely.
0: Okay. Continue. Yes. (laughs) Uh, The.
1: But, but the, the fact that this is going on and parents are saying, okay, because they're so overwhelmed, and I understand the overwhelm, but your responsibility is to educate yourself. Mm-hmm. Find out what the influences are on social media. Find out the stories, both sides. Look up the po- the positive stories, excuse me, and the not positive, and, the, and let make sure your child has a full base of information because your child is going to be on this planet. The future belongs to your child. They're gonna be on this planet without you. Yeah. As Khalil <clears throat> said, you are the bow. They are the arrow. You, you, you're the quiver. They, you shoot them off into the future. What you strengthen them with, and teach them how to look at both sides, gather information, make a responsible, informed choice. If your child still comes to you, after several, you know, a year or two of. Really educating themselves on it. it, says this is who I am. It's what I want to do. It's their responsible adult choice to make. Then they want to make that choice as an adult. Let them make that choice. But when you let your child make that choice, as yes. a child, and you don't take responsibility to at least help them walk an informed path, then you know you're doing your I think potentially a disservice to your child because um, I mean I have some of my closest friends are gay and have been since the day they were born know it and were born in a generation when it was completely unaccepted, got Mm -hmm. married, tried to live the lie and said they couldn't because they were gay. And I, and, and it, when They said, enough of that bullshit. I'm okay with being gay, and I'm okay, and the world's going to have to be okay with me too. Their lives change, and they're incredibly successful and wonderful, amazing human beings. Uh, And and that's, that's that's their experience. I think it's terrible to be railroaded in either case. It's something that you have to have information on. And as a parent and as a school, for God's sake back the fuck out excuse me
0: of yeah child's no, th- they need to they really do I, I just had this conversation about i forget what it what it was um oh this morning i was i was filling up my kids water bottle for school and i spilled the ice and i said oh gosh or oh my gosh and mimi one of my twins she's like mrs taber said you're not supposed to say, oh, my gosh. You're supposed to say, oh, my goodness. I'm like, well, is Mrs. Tabor your, your dad and mom? Are they your parents or are they your teachers? She's like, well, they're your teacher. So I oversee what your teachers say and know that for the rest of your life. Yes. And it's like that should piss me off really bad. Yeah. Like something so simple. I, I do tend to have a little bit of a short fuse with like what I, what I like to call my non-negotiables in life. And my kids are like number one. Like, I am. I'm like a, like a, like a, I don't know, like a liger, like a tiger lion (laughs) that's ready to just destroy with like eagle wings. And I can just, I don't know. And I don't know. Maybe because they're all girls. And if it was a boy, I'd probably be a lot harder on him. I don't know. I have no idea. But I come from a big family, so I've always had, like, you know, I have a lot of sisters and a couple of brothers. The rest are women in the family. And uh, my dad died when I was young, so I was surrounded by women. Maybe that's a big part of it. Uh, that's a conversation for another time. But so it was some, something like that. I'm like, <clears throat> you, can't let, you can't let society, and this was a conversation I had with a friend of mine who who's really well-informed. You can't let society set the standard for your children. You set the standard for your children. Otherwise, and and forgive me for if, if this is insulting in any way, but I don't think it's an insult. I think it's just a representation. Because if you don't set the standard for your children, then society will. And, and that's like the laws of the jungle and in an essence, which is kind of what happened to you. You, on the other hand, you're like a, I don't know, like a, what do you call it? Like a weird variable. Because you had crazy intuition and self-awareness. Uh, too young of an age like it's almost freaky um <clears throat> so like you're you're a rare breed so we can't set we can't say that that's like the general you know uh, uh, standard for for most children um so you were able to figure something out and and you know you had the ability to be able to have some uh, self-awareness and intuition and kind of craft and create the world that that you know you now live and 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 you, you know, you're, you just resonate joy and happiness, and, and you could see how much you love your life, and that's amazing. And that, that's why I think everything is an energy, and I could feel it. Like if I was sitting next to you, I probably would see some of it just coming off of you. Um, and I think that's so cool. Um, and why be negative? But so the point I'm trying to make is, is that if if you don't allow, if you if you don't if you don't create the foundations for your for your children at home, then society is going to take over, and society means friends, neighbors, teachers you know, uh, grocery store clerks, you know, universities, middle schools, high schools, elementary schools, like that, that, and then, and then let's not even forget that with our social media now in the mix.
1: Oh,
0: oh buddy. Oh, my oh God.
1: God. Yeah. I mean, like you
0: know, mic drop at this point.
1: You know, absolutely. I mean, like, you know, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Dale, Dale Carnegie's book, um, how to influence, uh, it's a fantastic book. How to win, How to win
0: friends and friends, influence and friends people. Well,
1: yeah, win friends. One of his one of his quotes is if you tell me how to get how you get your feeling of importance, I'll tell you what you are. That determines mm-hmm. your character. That is the most significant thing about you. We live in a society where people are gathering their importance from people they don't know, mm-hmm. thinking that the like that you get from a stranger is, is relevant to the like, more relevant than the like you get from yourself or your family, your friends. Even if your family's, you know, a wreck, uh, there's nature will tell you more about who you are and, and give you a, 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 uh, an acceptance that has more value than going on a Platform with a bunch of strangers that you don't know that might be just, you know, putting a thumbs up in a fast moment, not giving really anything. That is not a good, uh, you know, a a good foundation for building your self esteem. Your self esteem comes from you being and doing and coming up into conflict or coming up into resistance and finding a way through it yourself. That's Mm -hmm. what self esteem comes from. It's from finding your solutions to your wants. That's how you learn about your capabilities. That's how you learn, you know, <laughs> one of the things like my, my, uh, youngest, my, and I'm the same way she's, she's my stepdaughter, but she's my, you know, I call her my, my youngest Hallie. She's 28 years old now. And, uh, and I've always been, get it. You, you want that, get it yourself. If you can, you know, if it's something mm-hmm. she can do like, and I do it with all my kids. You know, they want a cup. Can I have a cup of water? I'll get the cup, put it down on a the shelf they can reach, put the stool drink, mm-hmm. and let them get the water. Well because done. Because if I'm doing it, they're not going to ever realize they can do it. And self esteem isn't about what people tell you, it's not from the outside in, it's from what you discover from the inside out. And that's what your energy is on the outside. That's what you bring out. So when schools, teachers, and people, on the outside, are telling our kids how they are, who they should be, what they should say, to the point. I mean, you're supposed to be giving kids information, creating a discussion, creating a, uh, maybe a, a, um, plat- or a platform for them to have a discussion, to gather and determine how they want to respond, an opinion, a discovery, and they start to develop who they are. They're supposed to be stewards of information, not arbiters of what your value system is. Yeah, our parents are supposed to give that to us, and if they don't, yeah. and maybe, and maybe Mo, part of the reason why schools have gotten so empowered this way is because our society is so broken. Uh, families have been broken. Divorce rate, maybe all these things, a lack of. Um, you know, uh, a, a, a spiritual core within families, whatever you want to call it, and people going to the outside, going, please give me. And not everyone has seen it in nature and seen that it's right there for you. And they've gone to each other. And then people in their own, you know, need to feel good about themselves, think that telling somebody how they should think makes them feel, you know, more important whatever that Mm -hmm. is, if it's the number one need, as Dale Carnegie says, uh, for people to feel what is their feel important, what is making teachers feel good about themselves when they're burdening children and making children do this instead of this? This is what a child is supposed (coughs) to be doing.
0: I'll tell you what it is. It's the same reason that uh, a kid who gets bullied when he's a kid turns out to be like a cop or some person in authority and it's those types of people that have to find they find pleasure in being able to dominate. Mm. And and I mean that in a grand spectrum of things like physical domination, mental domination, emotional domination, you name it. It could be as small as telling kids what to do and creating the standard in an educational uh, environment to, you know, just having a hard on and decide to pull everybody over because you can Whatever the case may be. Okay. It's just an example. It's not, doesn't mean, just a, you know, it doesn't mean that every cop is a dick and every teacher is terrible and every human. Like we got to get, we have to get out of the space of these extremes. Like we're human beings. We're valuable. We're, we're, we're imperfect. We, we have good and bad. And, you know, some people just tend to, <clears throat> some people may uh, give in to those bad impulses and some you know, they, they, they opt for the growth mindset. And so like, you, you can't just put everybody in one column. That's, that's just, that's ignorant. Like, and which leads me to the last thing I want to say before I let you go. And then I really, really want to have like a continuum. If you're open to it, I'm serious. Definitely
1: open. I love it. um Love talking
0: with you. <laughs> ditto is, is this notion of we can't have a conversation in today's world, and this could be in our next topic because we can dive in, without without animosity. Like I can't just I can't agree I can't agree to disagree with people anymore. It's like no no no, you're wrong and I'm right. Okay, buddy, cool. And and that may be part of that may well, that may be part of cancel culture. That may be part of how society has become. It, I don't know all I know is is that there's a lot of noise in the world and everybody wants to be right and nobody wants to listen and I'm like how smart do you really think you are because the older that I get the less that I feel like I know and the more that I learn about stuff I'm like shit I'm so confused I don't know I don't know anything what what is it that I know I don't only thing that I can truly be confident in are my personal experience that I've witnessed and I can share those with you as a point of reference not as a means to tell you that this is right and you are wrong I, and I and I can't stand that So
1: I agree with you 100% and I think that's why we kind of got on the track about uh, school and teachers because there's a misuse of that power of Look, um, this is a just a discovering experience life. Everybody has a desire to want to be heard and acknowledged. They want what they have to say to matter. They want to matter. And if you're in a place of authority or influence, you have even more responsibility to... Acknowledge that, wait a minute, do I really have the answer? Maybe you don't have the answer. So allow for the possibility that there might be something. And for you and I, when it comes to kids, there's one absolute when it comes to being a parent. Those kids are under your care. You are their steward, their caretaker, their safety until they are ready to go on their own. That's your job. And in, and in nature, everything in nature protects their young in this very fierce way that you describe yourself. It's natural. So it is normal for parents now to be going, hang on just a freaking minute. You're crossing into my territory. And, mm-hmm. and that's natural. And what we're not able to recognize is to sit in the room together and say, look, I hear your voice. You feel that parents are being irresponsible because they're not acknowledging this experience out here in the world. Well, I'm a parent and I feel you're irresponsible by pushing that awareness on my child at a time when my child doesn't have the capacity to understand it. He only has the capacity to be burdened by it and to feel badly about himself because he doesn't understand it. Can we at least acknowledge that and can we step away from this and recognize, you may value this more than me. And maybe at some point when my child's older and I don't feel as protective in this way because my child has told me I don't need to be. You and I will be able to uh, feel more comfortable in this conversation. But right now, we need to be okay with each other's differences. And that's where we're, I think we have the biggest problem. Is we're not okay with each other's differences mm-hmm. and we're not respecting that they're both okay and have to be accepted. At face value, in some cases, you just have to say, I don't agree because I don't see where you are seeing, but I respect that you see it and it's high value for you. And it's my job as a human being, part of your family, because we're family, we're a human family. I got, I have got to sit here and say it okay. It's okay for us to not have the same sight right now, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to children. You know, the parent's not trying to hurt their child by saying, don't burden my child while they're in your four walls. I want my child to be in exploration. I want my child to learn academics. I want my child to emotionally feel unburdened and to smile and be in that innocence. I want my child to have innocence as long as they can. Can you please not talk to my child about sexuality? when my child doesn't even know what that is, please, just don't do that. And for teachers not to be able to say, and organizations not to be able to say, I have to respect this about parents. These are their children, I have to respect that. It's our responsibility as a society to, to make like you said. We make the rules when we don't treat our schools like babysitting services. And we step in as parents and say, I am going to guide I'm gonna participate, I'm gonna guide you. These are the parameters that you have with my child while they're in your four walls. Until we get up and say, that's that's our partnership, I think we're gonna have this problem. We need to make a partnership and teachers have been emboldened, bless you. They've just been emboldened, um, I think in a way that is, uh, and also remember lastly, these teachers, are from a broken society. The teachers that are teaching now come from a war, warring society: World War II, the Vietnam War, divorce, well over fifty percent, drunk uh, alcohol, <laughs> uh, spousal abuse, chauvinism, discrimination, uh, all manner of society uh, issues that they dealt with. And they're now teaching with all their baggage, trying to find a way.
0: I, I understand that, but I still think that's an excuse. Here's why. Um, you're a kid. You're a perfect example for this. You're going to prove my case right now. You're a kid. You come from a broken home. You have the worst circumstances, worst environment. Um, <clears throat> and you, can, you can't just you, you go through life this way and you're constantly making excuses. Okay, now you're 35, and you're still playing the victim, and you're still blaming it on your old circumstances and your old environment. And, and I, again, I don't, this isn't to disrespect anybody. This is just to prove a proof of point in the fact that you have absolute control. You are no longer in, it should be in like the victim mentality because at this point, if you're a grown, fully grown, developed adult, you cannot keep making excuses for yourself anymore. You just can't. You can't play the victim. You can't say, oh, woe is me. You can't rely on the past that that created this this mindset. Like there's a lot of people that I know that have had horrendous upbringings, like horrendous from death to murder, to rape, to abuse. Do you know it? And you're like, you're an example. Look what you were able to do. You said, nope, no, no, no. I'm going to create my life. I'm not going to play the victim. I'm not going to let that um, rule over me and, and control and dictate the way that I live my life. Fuck that. And so, yeah, they, ha- they may have all of these things that, that have happened in their life, and their family's life, and it's, it's part of the stuff that they collected throughout their existence, and it stays there. But to be able to use that as a means of an excuse, that's bullshit, and I don't buy it, nor do I uh, agree with it, and nor do I uh, think that is any kind of justification – um, for their mindset and their mentality, and I, I'm a big advocate, and I and, and I personally here locally, and <clears throat> you'd be surprised um, how angry parents really do get, and and how it's almost like mind numbingly, like it blows your mind, like uh, how much these teachers really believe, and like what's the what's the term I'm thinking of? Um, uh, uh, God, what was that term? I I just had it and it was going to be a perfect example. Hang on. Oh, uh, that they, they believe and they drink their Kool-Aid, you know, how will they drink their Kool-Aid and they believe their? it's insane that they are, that they are so, it's like, how do you believe a lie? You only believe a lie only because you've been telling that lie for so long that it becomes your version of the truth. And you cannot have conversations with those people because it's like they're they're already like they're, the, their vision of the world and how it is is already a fallacy. And it's the same kind of people, no disrespect, that you see driving around with a fucking mask on with their windows rolled up. I'm sorry. Sorry.
1: <laughs> I haven't heard that, too. It's not very safe for you. It's, I mean, I agree with you there. That, that, that blows my mind. And I agree. It's not an excuse. You have to take responsibility. And if you're a teacher, you, you do. You you have to hold yourself to a higher standard of dealing with your shit before you go and influence young developing minds for sure, and not use them as uh, your workout space to deal with your issues. No
0: question. Yeah, you're you're an educator.
1: That's right. You have to educate. It's just like a policeman. You have a gun in your hand. You are held to a higher standard. You you must be.
0: Yep. You just said it right there. You are held to a higher standard. You made that choice. You made that decision. Nobody said and forced it upon you. Nobody said you have to be a teacher. Nobody said you have to be a policeman. But you're supposed to be there to uphold the law and you're supposed to be there to educate our children. Not throw your bullshit and your belief system and, and the lens that you see through every single day onto those kids and get them to believe the crap that you believe. That's not how this works. You're there to teach curriculum. Math, science, social studies, whatever the case may be. That's what you're there for. Period. So like, I love that you said that, 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 that really resonated with me.
1: Yeah. I mean, you I agree. You're, you're held to a higher standard and you need to not teach from your suffering and where you've come from, but teach from a place of awareness and willingness to be wrong and be responsible and held, hold yourself to the place of, look, I am in charge of this child's vulnerable and impressionable mind. I need to make sure that what I am speaking from is not my own agenda or my own fear of not being accepted. That's when you, like when you see people in the Kool-Aid thing, I think there's a natural innate desire and it's within our psyche to be accepted.
0: Getting drunk on your own Kool-Aid. That's what it was. God, I was bugging me. Sorry.
1: Yes. No, getting drunk on your own Kool-Aid because being, not being accepted is one of the most terrifying things for people in our, it's in our DNA. It yeah. did not group think when we were in a tribe and we did and we were ostracized, it meant death.
0: Oh yeah. It meant yeah.
1: you were going to die. You would yep. not survive. So not everybody's a leader. Not everybody's an alpha male or female or alpha beta. There are leaders and there are followers. And when you're, a, if you're going to be a teacher you inherently must be a leader if you are not a leader in your nature then you got to be on constant self awareness of okay am i teaching this from my desire to not be wrong to not be accepted to have somebody point me out to not be agreed with to not be a part of the team to not be a part of the group and i think that's what a lot is ha- happens a lot is is there's it's it's like a giant bullying sphere as if you don't agree with this group of people, then you are going to lose your tenure. You're going to lose your benefits. You're going to lose your job. You're going to be. You're going to starve. You're going to die. It, it, it connects into that. I mean, you dissecting all the way down. What is it that is actually in the whole Maslow's thing? It's going down to you. You dying, and that's mm-hmm. what people deal with. And that's why they they're just like you know beer bonging the Kool Aid because they're like it's a lot easier to do that than to just stand up and say. Look, I'm not as intense as you guys. I I, I don't necessarily agree. Yeah, It's hard for me to say I don't agree. I don't feel comfortable with this. I don't want to lose my job, and I don't want to... And that's... There's not a lot of room for people to be that vulnerable and transparent and be cared for within that. It's you think like us, or you are out. And that's a tragedy.
0: That is also a a variable that... I failed to mention that is true. That is very true. Sometimes it's the, it's a circumstance that you're put in and the environment that you're put in where you may have to wash what you say kind of thing. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times i got in an argument with my kid's principal over dumb shit. A lot of times it's typically the mask. And then I always thing is I learned uh, a friend of mine, you know, he, he guided me with this cause I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a free thinker and I, Don't like to be told what to do. Um, (laughs) He said to me that, uh, you know, never talk about the science and never talk about anything other than the fact that you just need to approach it like you're two people. There are two humans existing and come from that stance of humility and understanding. And no matter what, if all else fails, change the subject. And it works. And it works like a charm. But it's like, it's tough when you're, it's tough when the organization that is teaching your, your kids has not only at the hierarchy of the principal, maybe the vice principal, maybe the su- uh, superintendent, maybe whatever, like the, the positions of, of leadership within that environment, maybe they're setting the standard and all the teachers have to abide by it. So like at what point do you cut off, you know, the head of whatever Hydra, but that's the way it just keeps growing, I guess. I don't know. Isn't that the mythological being? Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that?
1: Hydra Medusa with all the snakes on her head? Hydra.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. You cut off one head and another, another one, two froze, grow in yes, the same. Yes. yeah Yeah. Well,
1: it's, it's a, it, you know, and, and science, I think we've forgotten what science is. Science is experimentation. It theories. Yes. It's always evolving and always changing. There was a time when we used to believe people thinking that was going to heal them. And look where we are now. And look where we're going to be eventually. We're not going to cut people open. It's all going to be lasers. It's mm-hmm. an evolution. Science is a constant exploration and understanding and discovery. And it's, it's changing as, as the world around us, the environment changes, the environment influences the outcome. There's Science has become like some kind of weird absolute in this language right now. It's like, What happened to the reality of what science is? It's a discovery process. (laughs) Okay, we've discovered that the masks don't kill the virus. Take the masks off. We've discovered that children are stronger and need to be the leaders in herd immunity. Let them. Mm -hmm. Let them. And we've discovered that viruses become more virulent when they aren't fought through the magic and amazingness of our immune system, that is the, still doesn't isn't understood completely by science because it's so intricate and it goes after the variant so quickly that we don't even see it happening as a virus morphs and changes, our immune system goes, Oh, yeah, mother effer, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, and does that, and then that's how kids create this herd immunity as they they just, and it dilutes and dilutes and dilutes and dilutes. And that eventually it's so irrelevant. And then another one comes along and that's how we're designed. That's we're designed to fight these viruses this way. We have this amazing ability. So why would we be masking ourselves up with weakening our immune systems and creating not only that, but creating this, this level of ostracizing our own being and this developing of children—we we learn from our faces. Our children learn, from this, huh?
0: I I know that this is this is a really long topic, and so we're going to leave it to part two. Uh, but I'm very passionate about the subject. Me too. Um, <clears throat> and it's uh, I
1: have all story around it.
0: It's I do too, <laughs> and it's one of those things. It's one of those things where. It, it's almost like, like when I think about it, and then when I, if I, I don't watch the news, but if I do turn on the news, I literally, I feel like I'm in the twilight zone. Like I feel like I just tr- got transported into like a film, like a sci-fi movie. I'm like, is this, is this real right now? Like this is happening? Like this is, like, are people cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? Like what's going on? Like nobody can think for themselves anymore. What happened? Yeah. What, when did this switch take place? Anyways, I don't we'll get into it because. Really grinds my gears, but uh,
1: <laughs> I'm with you. I
0: got I gotta get going. I gotta go pick up the kiddos. Yes. This has been beautiful. Um, where can people find you? How can they connect with you if you want them to connect with you? I would love. To. I'm gonna connect with you. Are you on Instagram? I am
1: on Instagram. Walker. Brandt. I'm gonna
0: find you. I'm and gonna stalk you. Yes.
1: Yeah. Please <clears throat> connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, WalkerBrant.com. Uh, my book, *Awaken*, is on Amazon. It's a
0: super- oh, it's live right now.
1: Oh yes, super super cheap uh, uh, Kindle, and I made it. And I, I don't know, it's it's really reasonable put it that way. I just made it really reasonable on Kindle and
0: *Awaken*. Let me find it so I can post it in the link description. Yes.
1: *Awaken*. Is it
0: just *Awaken*? Is there awaken a
1: discovering yourself through the light of your innocence? Walker Kimberly Brandt. And, uh, yeah, so reach out. I would love to have, and I can't wait to have another conversation with you. This is such, so we touched on so much and there's so much expansion. I know.
0: I know. (laughs) I got it. Yeah. I got the book. Awesome.
1: Yes. Um,
0: I will reach out to you on, so. I use Instagram literally as a form of communication. I just message people through there. Perfect. Um, if you're active on there, I'll message you. If not, I can email you or whatever your form of communication is. But I'd love to schedule uh, part two. Yes. Um, because there's just too much knowledge and there's too much wisdom. Um, and there, it, it's like I love it when I vibe with people. Like I cannot not have another conversation. Like this is not this isn't, that's not right. Like we got to keep going. We got
1: to keep going. There's a lot to cover in this world.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) And lots of fun stories. I mean, there's just so much more. Yes.
0: Yeah. And I want to hear them and I want to hear funny ones, crazy ones, wild ones, gnarly ones, out of this world ones. And there's so many ones that make you shed a tear.
1: Exactly. There's ones that I've never.